Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retooling. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expansive. Shari, tell me what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there. Earners, what's up? Look, as an entrepreneur, the dream is to earn a living doing what you love. But let's face it, turning that dream into reality is no small feat. That's where Kajabi steps in, transforming challenges into opportunities. I've been there, juggling every aspect of my business, wishing for a simpler way to diversify revenue and grow my brand. Then Kajabi changed the game. It's an all-in-one platform that empowered me to not just build, but thrive. With Kajabi, creating online courses, membership sites, and more became not just possible, but easy. And the best part? I kept 100% of what I earned, thanks to Kajabi's no-commission policy. But Kajabi isn't just about tools. It's about building a profitable business with the support of robust analytics, easy payment options, and customizable templates, all without needing a huge team or audience. Join me and thousands of entrepreneurs making six or seven figures on Kajabi, regardless of your audience size. If you're ready to turn your passion into profit, Kajabi is your next step to success. So what are you waiting for? Build, grow, and keep what you earn with Kajabi. Start your journey today. And right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash earn. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash earn. Kajabi.com slash earn. And join the entrepreneurs and creators who've made over $6 billion. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over there now. Earners, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app, and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters constrain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content, 
Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no ads, no data selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated financial personal app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial. Feeding, you know, the machine, like machine learning technology, feeding it songs from Eminem, Travis Scott, and then it producing a sound, so, yeah. Yeah. an original song yeah. that is based off that work, poses so many legal issues. It was a producer. They were like, yo, let's put Timberland, Pharrell, Kanye, and let's make beats. And it made like 70 beats an you hour. Just fit, you just feed it to the machine and just you know, it put, spits out a beat. Or I can take Blast's voice and I could be the person singing and it's his it's his voice on my body. As an artist, how you because that's kind of scary. Like you know, art is <laughs> it's supposed to be curated by you know it, it's a lot. Now, how do you feel about a machine just making art? That's scary. My graduates from my school being Forbes bag drop, bag drop, <laughs> a mic drop, bag drop, bag drop. All right, guys, welcome back. This is our second home, which is quickly becoming our first home. Yeah, you see all the time now. We in L.A. Residents at this And point. we got a special, special episode. So by now, this show that we have done will already have happened. Yes, so yes, you yes. would have known that we had a special performance from Legendary. one of my favorite artists, Blast. Legendary performance. Yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> um, but it all stemmed from, what was that party? Where, where did we first initially, connect? it was at a, I met, um, Damn, it was a party. It was outside. Was that Amazon for Grammy? The Amazon, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Grammy week. So mm -hmm. so you might be familiar with Blast's music. I'm pretty sure you are. But a lot of times we don't know the business behind it. So his partners in the label, Victor and Carl, they have a label, a label Eagle. And um, it's interesting because it's independent label. So for Earn Your Leisure, obviously a business platform. So we're going to talk about the publishing. We're going to talk about trials and tribulations of running the label, partnerships, um, L.A. and Newark. We got, <laughs> we got both sides working here. We can't forget Newark. Um, venture capital, a bunch of stuff. And I feel like it's a dope conversation to have, especially at this time. So wanted to thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I use your lyrics for my captions a lot. I love it. <laughs> my, my favorite one is... Um, if you a big stepper, don't trip over small shit. That got a lot of traction when I pulled it. Like, yo, that's genius. Line. Oh my god, where'd you pull that one from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah. Um, so I appreciate that. You ghost. You ghost written a lot of captions for me. Yeah. Um, and congrats, congrats. Just for clarity, too. It's out right now. Officially out. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that's yeah. a that's a good one. A nice little. Something to, to keep the taste buds. Yeah, it's the appetizer. The appetizer. To the meal. <laughs> so, all right, let's start. So, all right, where do you guys meet at? Because you guys are from South Central, you're from Newark, but none of you knew each other, right? So, mm -hmm. where do you meet and where does the idea come to actually start working together? I initially met Vic just renting out a, a studio in Culver City. It was a studio that he was running, and I would just go there, you know, just trying to take time away from being at home with my son and stuff. So I found a spot and uh, he was just like, like, where your team at? Because he seen me doing everything, producing, recording myself. 
And he was like, nah, we got to put some plays together. So we came up with this thing called a, a calendar, a content calendar, which we'll, we'll pick each date and pick something to post and just gauge the results from there. And then Carl, he had reached out for me. From Instagram, this was a, like, <laughs> a minute ago too. Slotted I mean. in the DMs early. <laughs> yeah. So, but what's crazy is Vic, mom, and my mom stay around the corner from each other, and we didn't even know each other growing up. Oh, so yeah, I grew up next to each other, but y'all didn't know each other, right? Yeah. So, Damn. Okay. So, all right. So yeah, so yeah, build it. Till when does the label start? Label started 2017. This was around the time I had my son, and. Uh, Initially, it was just something for me to represent myself because I always looked at it like it's better when a company represents you versus you represent yourself. Mm. And uh, I feel like Carl pretty much made it make sense for me, Vic as well. Um, that was just the initial beginning of everything as far as Eagle. But you was doing music prior to that, right? Before you had the actual label, yeah. you were putting out music just by yourself. No, nah, I was actually part of a collective before. I don't want to get the. I know, it's like I. What was the letters? T I U. T I U. I was like, I know <laughs> some I U in it. I was about to say I see you, but I'm like, this ain't that. <laughs> I see you. This is dangerous. That's another collective. Yeah. So all right. So you you. So that was interesting. I remember Ash Cash. I said that like when an author like putting a book out. It's always better to seem like you 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 have a publishing company as opposed to being an independent author. So he created a publishing company because it just looks better to have like one brick publishing produce this book as opposed to just Ash Cash, just the author. So the label, that's kind of that's similar to that. So when you start the label, it's still with the purpose of you just being the solo artist on the label. But right. it just looks better if it's a label as opposed to you just hustling as an independent artist. Yeah, I mean, of course we had goes to make it bigger eventually anyway. So we had to start somewhere. And I feel like it was perfect to start the foundation with myself, of course. So what's what's each one of you guys' responsibility in the label? Um, so, I mean, I'm the president of the label. Um, and I'm also Blast manager too, though. So yeah. play, wear both those hats. Yeah, I'm a I'm the COO, um, co-founder too, but I'm also, also Blast attorney. Are you a lawyer? Yeah, 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 yeah lawyer, man. Yeah. International. Yeah. We'll get there. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> so but you, you were managing that first, right? So where did you get the background in that? Or is that something that you saw the talent and you said, all right, let me see where I can help? Or like, did you have experience um, prior? I mean, nah, I really, I never wanted to work in music ever. That wasn't really my, that wasn't really my goal when I was in college. I played football in college. So I went to University of Washington, went to graduate school in Southern Illinois. Um, so when I moved home, I was working for Benny Boone. Mm, and oh, so okay. I was doing like all their product merchandising. I started working with Dame Dash a little bit. So like I was really more so in the content distribution world, in the uh, product distribution world. And from there, it's really just like the skills I took from playing football. I was already running my own company, making merchandise, throwing events. So just taking the intangibles from those, I was like, shit, you already a one-man show. I could really just plug in these different outlets around your pre-existing talent, and then we can go try to go to the moon with it. So really, that's where it all conjured up from. Dope. So, all right. So when does this really start to take off? Because I think I got turned on your, to your music like probably like 18 months ago. I think like that's when like the wave really started to hit, at least on the East Coast. I'm not sure you probably had a buzz out here already. But when does this go from, okay, this is becoming a mainstream situation? I would say when we did the partnership with Red Bull, mm. I mean, I definitely had a buzz 
uh, dropping music with Bino Rideau, which is from LA as well. We got this project called The Six Tape. And uh, I felt like No Love Lost was my follow-up solo project. And I feel like that that made the noise. That's what had chosen yeah. and uh, went double platinum straight out the gate. And what year yeah. was that? 2020? 2020. 2020, yeah. yeah. Six, he eight, dropped yeah. the end of 2020. Yeah, and we knew Bino from being with Nip. So I was like, <laughs> familiar with he did, that. He did a tape with Nip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the um, Stuck in the Grind. I remember he was on, all over that Stuck in the Grind. Um, LP. That was, that's dope. So the Red Bull situation is interesting, right? Cause, and, and Carl, I'm sure you had your hands all over this. So Red Bull, it was a, obviously we know it as a, as a drink, right? But we didn't know that they were making actual artists. So how did you approach them and make this deal happen? Because this is the first, this is the first tape that y'all put out, right? For, for sure. I mean, I, I always talk to, to Vic about it. I mean, like, you know, everybody in the industry was like, you know, what label are you picking? Right. It was a conversation like who, what label are you going to? Um, but, you know, I, I think Red Bull offered something that the labels couldn't, which is like, you know, that can's in every single place across the globe. Like, and not only do they have the can, but they have F1. Mm. Not only do they have F1, they got, you know, culture teams in every little city. Um, so it just it just made sense. We were like, you know, what what don't we have? What don't we have access to? Um, and they and they just had it. So um, they came to us. They have a record. Uh, they have a record side. Most people don't know that Red Bull has a as a record label. Um, A&R kind of contacted us and uh, just went from there. So, what exactly was the partnership with Red Bull? Were they like 50-50 partners in the distribution of the music, or did they... yeah, it's fifty. Okay. It's a you it's know, like, it's like a it's like a label deal. Yeah, it's like a it's like a partnership. Um, definitely more. I would say definitely more of a partnership. Um, and then you know they gave us um, you know, overhead to to sort of build our company out and um. You know, we're still in business today. We're signing artists with them. Um, you know, we got an office at Red Bull. Um, so, right. yeah, yeah, we, we it's cool. It's a really, really cool partnership for sure. So what makes you want to, all right, but what makes you want to choose Red Bull over, because I'm assuming like you had a lot of labels that were offering you situations. Because yeah. <clears throat> it's still not, Red Bull is still not a, a music company. So even though they have a lot of distribution and they have a lot of a big name, most people would have just went with a, a music company because yeah. that's what they specialize in. So right. what made you want to choose a product and a liquid product company as opposed to a music distribution company? I think we were kind of like we 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 are the culture, like we are the music. We are the, you know, all of us, like all of us together. We feel like in our respective cities, um, you know, we just we've been doing this for a long time and blast music's incredible. You know, his ear, his, uh, you know, his, his taste, everything about it. So we were like, the music's fine. Um, the culture, like, you know, we don't need nobody to help us build culture or community. Like, no label can teach us how to do that. So um, we just wanted a partner that could, that that could, you know, give us stuff that that we didn't have access to. Yeah, so does the I'm, I'm just envisioning this now. And from just the standpoint of, like, as you're looking on the global scale, is the music showing up everywhere that Red Bull shows up? so we know they're big in like MLS and we know they're big internationally. Are you thinking that from the start? And did that take convincing, right? Like, hey, I got this opportunity. Or is everybody on board? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll do this. Yeah. I think it was up in the air first with me. So I wrote my dissertation on Red Bull in grad school. Oh, wow. So I kind of already knew like the different avenues. I mean, <laughs> we joke all the time, but like my favorite term is vertical integration. That's what I wrote my paper on. Mm. So that's how I even understood the fact of, I mean, 
I, everybody know the music world, they really make their money off all their recoupable expenses that they dish out. So, you know, you start looking at Red Bull and looking at their different mediums. A lot of that stuff is non-recoupable costs when you start doing business with the outside entities. So where it is, where it is I mean, I know we're going to talk about the venture stuff later, but where it is like our artists will have to go back, take that first lump sum of money and buy their masters back. In this situation, we was able to procure business terms to where we didn't even have to go through that first step. We automatically obtain all that from the jump. And then we go in and really invest right away rather than being like, all right, I got to really play this long game, go to these major labels, kiss their ass, try to get my shit back, buy it overpriced. And then now when I'm like 35, 40, I can start getting really into this investment. So it's like, nah, we wanted to do that now. Um, and I think the biggest thing is business is problem solving. So at the end of the day, Red Bull needed a problem to be solved, which was they never really had a, a real prominent hip hop act in Los Angeles where their office is. Mm-hmm. And us really being from Los Angeles solved that problem for them. So it's like, I always say it's like the cool kids when they sat with the nerds. Like, it's cool. Like, we wouldn't have got the answer. To that. <laughs> <laughs> Gave you the slack. You know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Respectfully, though. Respectfully. <laughs> Shout out to Red Bull. <laughs> um, so, all right. You said something integrated vertically. And um, shout out to Nip. Rest in peace. Uh, that was one of my favorite lines that he used as well as integrated vertically. Y'all niggas blew it. And uh, we talk about that, like with Apple, right? That's probably, I think Apple has done the best job of being in a, vertically integrated. So, um, obviously, that's something that you guys, you know, practice. So, how does that look in your business model? I mean, man, I think everything starts with just how we operate from the jump. I mean, we we have 11 employees right now. Everybody, like, on payroll. We got another X amount of contractors as well. So everything from the start in the epicenter is really controlled by us as far as how things are distributed, how they look, the feel of it all. But I think that's a direct reflection of Blast, too, though, because when I first met him, like he said, he was doing the graphic design, editing the videos, mixing the music, recording itself. So I couldn't believe, I'm like, bro, you were in the studio spending your money. Like, what? Are you, how are you being productive in here? Until I actually <laughs> went in there and he was like, yeah, I do all this, 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 and this. So I, I, I couldn't see how the business model couldn't reflect what Blast is doing, you know? Yeah, so yeah, you, you got your master's, obviously the publishing as well, right? And then you did something unique. You started not only just having writers, but started signing writers. So like the business plan going into it, like who's coming up with that, right? Is that like the vision from the beginning? I, I think so. I think the vision was kind of how do we, I, I think this is just like, a, it's, a, it's an idea company. It's like, how can we um, do stuff? Not we're, we're cool. We're a cool company because the music's just like a, is, is one vehicle. It's one aspect of it. And that's how we always viewed it. So, um, but you got to be really good at music and talking about vertical integration is like, how do we own that process? So at Blast, you know, it becomes, um, it, it makes less sense for Blast to write the songs, produce all the music, uh, just from a time standpoint. It's like, mm-hmm. why would you, why would you do that? You know, you guys, you guys build a, you know, built an amazing business for yourself. You're like, cool. You know, now let's get some help. Like, let's, let's make sure everything's um, set up. So I think we were like, cool, how do we, how do we put out more product more efficiently um, and, and grow our company? And, you know, it was signing more artists, um, signing more songwriters, signing more producers. And like Vic said, it's just owning the process. Mm-hmm. So, but you had, you're an entertainment attorney. Correct. Right. So as you're building this, are you still practicing in your own, like the folks firm is a real thing. Yeah, for sure. Right. So how, how are you managing both? 
Uh, man, I, it's funny. I got a lot of clients. Like <laughs> I, I rep a lot of artists, producers, creative companies, um, businesses, but, um, I'm not a, I, I'm not a traditional attorney. Like, I think for me, I always saw law as a way to like get into conversations that I probably wouldn't be privy to understand the business from a high level. Um, as a lawyer, you see every contract, you see all the back end of every mm-hmm. business. Like, you know, I know what's going on at, you know, this label, I know what's going on at that company. Um, so I feel like insider trader. Yeah. And I'm just bringing it back to the home team. That's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the lawyer, like you said, to run a label, you have a competitive advantage being a lawyer because now it's like that's the number one thing. Like, oh, the lawyer screwed me. I didn't know the business. Can't really say that if you're a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> no fight to blame but yourself. It's we always talk about it too. It's like, you know, uh, I'm also a professor at Drexel. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I teach music business. So right. our first combos are like, you know, Victor said, he's like, you know, he's a business guy, not really a music guy. Like, he's like, yo, I, I do business. And, um, you know, Blast an artist. So obviously he knew, he knew a lot about the business. But, you know, our first year or two, you know, I was just having, we were just having master classes in the back. Yo, here's publishing. Like, here's how you collect all the royalties. You know, here's how you distribute your music all over. Um, and, you know, we're doing the same education for all our employees. So yo, that, that. That's a big thing, right? So collecting, publishing, we always talk about publishing, but people don't talk about how people get the money from it a lot. So I know like ASCAP is involved in that. So can you break that down, how people or artists can collect money yeah. from their, 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 obviously their IP? Yeah, p- publishing's just a collection sport. It's like really just collection. When you think about publishing, it's just collection. So you put the music out and then you collect your royalties. And um, on the pub side, you know, you think about streaming, there's a there's a publishing royalty that's generated. Every time a song is streamed, every single time you push play, there's a publishing royalty generated. Um, every time a song is played on the radio, there's a, a publishing royalty generated. Um, then there's a public performance. So every time a song is played in stadiums, hotels, um, they should be licensing that music. So, um, that's you realize when you realize like where you're getting your publishing royalties, um, you know, you could sort of create sounds and music that that sort of appeals to those places. Um, but but that's really just that's publishing. It's just a collection sport. And, you know, I think most people think about publishing from like a U.S. standpoint, but it's really an international game too. like, you know, they're playing your song in South Korea. They're playing your song in Japan. Um, they're playing your song in China. Um, you know, what's the collection side over there? Like, how do you collect your royalties in all these foreign territories? So, um, you need an admin partner. Um, and I think we were like, Warren has been a great partner for us. Shout out to like Ryan Press, Wallace, those guys. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan Leslie was talking about that with us, with the international play, with the publishing and all that. So, for musical arts, so blast, you write music and you sing, right? So, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, 50% of publishing goes to the the songwriter producer, fifty percent goes to the artist. Is that correct? Man, not nah, the fact that you know this much about publishing is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's too. Had a few conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fifty percent goes to the songwriter, fifty percent goes to producer. So, like, if you're an artist who um, is putting out music, you might not necessarily have any publishing if you didn't write the song, or you didn't produce, or produce the song. No, yeah, right. This is a guy who writes and produces the song. So, hundred percent, hundred percenter. So that's that's like a pub, if so a publisher's eyes, that's like the greatest person you ever see. He, he's smiling within y'all. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so Blast, let's talk thank about the, you, thank you. Let's talk about the music. Um, how did you you, know, you do everything right? So you said uh, like from the producing, from the singing to the did you are you trained like that or you just taught yourself? I just taught myself. I think just being bored because this was around a time like when I got into music, I had moved to the IE. 
which is like an hour outside of LA. So I was at home a lot. Like I wasn't really outside like that. And I was just being a nerd on, on YouTube, just <laughs> trying to figure out how to do everything. And I just fell in love with the process over overall. Like it didn't feel like I was working or learning. It just felt like I was in the moment, you know? So it kind of came natural to me to want to produce and want to write and seeing people like Ryan Leslie, seeing people like Pharrell, Kanye in the studio, jumping from the from the keyboard to jumping in the booth. It was just like, yeah, I got to be that type of artist. Hip Boy from IE, yeah. right? Yeah. Did you know him? I didn't know him coming up, nah. Okay. But I That's know him Fontana for sure. It's, it's crazy. When I, I saw you on the, the Freshman uh, cover, right? But I'm thinking, do you, I mean, you make music. I don't know if it's hip hop or if it's R&B. It just feels like authentic music to a region. Like when I hear your songs, I'm like, yo, this this sounds like West Coast. And I was telling Charlie on the way here, I'm like, it reminded me of like when I heard like a guy like Donnell Jones, I'm like, yo, that's Atlanta for that time castle. So I'm wondering like when you're making the music, are you intentionally saying like, I want it, I want people to feel like where we're from, where I'm from. I want them to have that vibe. Um, I think it just naturally come out of me. Like just the natural influences, the DJ quicks and Dr. J's. I can't escape it. I don't think it's an intentional thing, but I do feel like I intend to, you know, keep the soul alive, like the the love and the message is intentional. Like I try to speak on more on a positive spectrum of things. Yeah, so I'll say my message is more intentional because it feel to me when I listen to it, it feels like, and this is why I use your captions a lot because it's it feels like rap in the R and B. It's not like. Marvin Gaye R&B. It's like yeah. new age R&B. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's hip-hop. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like, but that has morphed. Because even if you look at Chris Brown, it's a, lo a lot of the new music, as far as on the R&B space, is in that vein, where it's like kind of a hybrid. Yeah, mm -hmm. Some of these dudes is really spitting. Did, so did you rap at all? Absolutely. I feel <laughs> like I came up rapping before I... Because I was more insecure about my voice when I first started making music. I didn't really get confident with putting out, like, R&B type rap songs until like my voice developed. You feel me? Yeah. But um, I'm a big rap fan before anything. So. Yeah. When I, I, again, when I'm listening to it, I'm like, yo, I know this dude like grew up on '90s R&B. Like I'm listening to it. Like I hear the Donnell sample, I hear the Case sample. And I'm like, then I looked. I'm like, born in '93. Like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> wait, maybe he wasn't influenced. Like, where, where? Did you get the influence for the sound, right? Because, like, I hear those samples. I'm like, oh, damn. That, that reminded me of, like, when I was a teenager. So I'm like, wait, he was, like, four. There's no way, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, well, I'm the youngest uh, in my family. I grew up with all older sisters, you know, so ah. that, that was the cheat code. I pretty, <laughs> I pretty much just took everything they was listening to and just incorporated it into my music. I feel like I give all my, uh, my taste. I get it off of my sister. Like, that's who I used to look up to when it came to music. So, yeah. so let's talk about the venture capital. You guys investing in companies? Yeah. Sh shout out to Ryan Leslie, too. I mean, we, we talked to Ryan. Sorry, God. Uh, Sorry, God. <laughs> uh, uh, I, we were in London for, uh, like, Blast first show out, show out there. And Ryan... I know somebody I, that went there. She really? Was, she, was, she put it on an Instagram story. <laughs> and she, I'm like, yo, I, I rock with his music. She's like, I love this guy. <laughs> uh, I saw it. I saw. I actually saw the show from, from her Instagram. That's hard. Um, when we were out there, Ryan Leslie was out there. So I, I, I ended up meeting him at, like, one of these, one of, uh, like, a hotel. We, we sat there in the lobby for, like, an hour or two and just chopped it up. And um, I definitely say, like, in terms of, like, converting, like, the culture into capital or 
you know, converting culture into commerce. Like, I feel like he's one of the, he, he's the guy, like, right. Like <laughs> turning music money, um, into like legacy, like, you know, generational wealth building. Um, so for us, it was, you know, at this stage, I mean, Vic, Vic kind of pointed to earlier, like, you know, the fact that Blast, you know, owns the stuff, the fact that we have, um, you know, a partnership where we get overhead and we're able to grow and scale. Um, you know, we didn't want to wait 10 to 15 years to start sort of investing back in the community or investing in the product. So um, a lot of the stuff we invest in now is stuff that we can impact, like, you know, consumer products. So it's like, you know, a post that he could post us. We, we could throw like a party and we could put some of our consumer products, you know, at the party. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we could post it ourselves and, and generate buzz for it. So we get a discount on equity. Um or like, you know, a company like Rec Philly, shout out to those guys. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Oh, we we invested in Rec Philly. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we we well those guys are really hard. But you know, they call themselves like a gym for creatives. So talking about owning the whole process, they got like the studios, they got the the arts, they got the design studios, they got the um Live Nation stage, they got like the co-working space. So it's like they're the definition of vertical integration. Like you get your fifty dollar membership and you can literally, you know put out a song and perform it at the place. Um, so we're just investing in companies that I think that, that we, that we align with right now. But, um, I, I think you, everybody, you, it, it be, when you get money, I think it, it becomes like a, a M&A game at some point or a private equity. You gotta, you gotta start buying stuff that that's in your field and, and that you can control. You know, A16Z? Yeah. You you what you involved with that? No, the culture fund, right? Yeah, nah, we're not we're not involved, but we know uh, some people that can introduce you. Yeah, that'd be. That'd you be you cool. interested? For sure. We can make, yeah, yeah, I see. yeah we're gonna that's, make that. So that's that's our people. Um, Megan, um, you know Chris Lyons. I heard about him. Yeah, we just had dinner with him the other day. So yep. they're good too because they um obviously Andreessen Harwood is like probably the biggest venture capital firm in the world. So the cultural leadership fund. I'm just speaking to the audience. The cultural leadership fund is a division of that, um, geared towards black people for short explanation, people like an entertainment world, stuff like that. Um, but so they invest in all these companies, but then they bring the side deals to you as well. So it's like, they'll, they'll invest in a hundred companies, but then you can invest in individual companies as well. So we've invested in like, well, like probably four or five individual. Yeah. We got number seven on the way. But the good thing with that is that they do the research already. So it's like, it already goes through a filter process. So by the time that they're invested in nothing, adventure is guaranteed, but it's like, they got to check off so many, boxes for them to invest in it sure, so it's like yeah. when they finally bring it to you it's like you know it's, it's fully vetted so. yeah and it's one of those things where it's like young people young people of color can get into the space right through a vetted process right so obviously a lot of people in, in athletics and music have capital or they have liquidation and they have cash and they know what to do with it and so it gives them an opportunity to educate but also invest too you said something early blast about the the content calendar and i started thinking as being as an independent label obviously the partnership with red bull is it still that process when you're trying to create a project obviously you just put out uh, the new project um but when you're creating is it like yo we have this mapped out here's how we're going to do it or it's like yo it's just kind of a vibe and i'm, I'm in, the, in the mood to create Nah, you're definitely still hands-on with everything but we still uh scaling everything too like we just brought on creative shout out maya which is here right now but um I think for me, it's more so about delegating to people that I that I can trust, you know. So um, internally, I have to be hands on. At Eagle, we have to be hands on before we even get our approval from anything on the other side, you know. So, yeah. How how important is it 
to balance being an artist and running a label. Because it's like sometimes like people like, you know, the artists, they just want to be artists. They got to be in their artistic vibe. And then the business people got to be in their business vibe. So is there any, obviously, you know, all you guys work together, but for you specifically, do you ever think about business too much or do you think about art too much? Like, how is that balancing? Nah, I don't, I feel like I found my balance, like just recently. Um, but again, it goes into trusting, you know, Carl and Vic make it to where I can solely focus on the music and they still give me updates on what's going on. It's just like a funnel of information to where the information is not too high or it's not too low. It's like, you know, it's it's perfect for me to keep my momentum. Because I think the the most important thing is the art. That's what's driving everything at the end of the day. And that has to remain authentic, has to remain genuine and intentional be, before anything. Yeah. So as he's creating the art, I guess, are you now looking for the talent as well? Right? Like, what's that process like for y'all? Because obviously this is the main focus. And he's obviously a partner. Are we looking for new talent to say, all right, let's expand outside of just what we know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say like we we scouring the earth like for the next blast. <laughs> like, but um, I think we take it as it all comes to us. I mean, a lot of these things come naturally. Um, synergy is created naturally. I mean, the essence of our company in general is not, nothing is fat, like fabricated. So I think just even creating these relationships with artists and understanding like the values and the morals that we have as a company is kind of like some of the stuff is damn near like out of bounds for us just because like their morality don't line up with the business ethics or the business acumen that we have. Um, but I think in every area we're looking to expand though. I mean, I, I think that's how we stay competitive. Um, I mean, that's how Blast stays fresh as a businessman. I think that's that's probably like one of the most, I mean, bringing up, me speaking as a manager, like working with an artist and actually seeing like, all right, this is like your real potential. And then let's see what happens when we actually load it up and, and really try to take it to the, take it to the finish line. And when you actually get that, I mean, I feel like that that sigh of relief is damn near like, okay, I did it one time, but it's damn near like, you see all these people out here trying to achieve this, this music goal. And, um, it damn near seemed unachievable when you see how much music you put out every day and stuff like that. And how many artists are trying to actually reach that ceiling. Mm -hmm. So I, I think for us, but going back to the original point, just as far as like building, scaling, um, I think in every area we trying to definitely max out our potential. Talk about <laughs> artist management. That's something that a lot of people don't fully understand why it's important, what the responsibilities of a manager is. Um, yeah. You talking about that? Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, I played football. So I played middle linebacker in college. So I called all the plays. So I'm getting 350-pound defensive linemen lined up, right? So this not – I mean, I feel like this is very synonymous with that, like talking to employees, making sure that we actually delegating tasks properly and then just – accountability like i mean a lot of i would say it's multiple different types of managers but like i'm a manager but i also look at myself as more so like i operate more in that president role i guess you could say um but it's just about me i get up damn near 5 30 every day but i'm used to that because of sports i'm used to that because of the team stuff um and then also just 
challenging Blast and making him uncomfortable before anybody else can make him uncomfortable. Mm. Having those uncomfortable conversations. Like me and him to have multiple one-on-one sit-downs where it's just like we working through stuff and just growing pains, just building a friendship, building a business, building that manager-artist relationship. Um, so I think that just as much as the artist is investing in themselves and trying to sharpen their tools, like I got to do the same exact thing too. Mm. Carl, you said internationally known as an as a <laughs> entertainment uh, attorney, and I heard obviously the, the show in London, London, and so it makes me think about the strategic plan to have him become a global artist. A lot of times, people create locally, and their sound stays local. What metrics, what analytics are you using to say like, all right, London's a place we can go, or the next international city is a place we can go? How did that? How did that happen? Man, I think London chose Blast for sure. Mm. Like, like I think outside of LA, I don't want to. I, I know we have metrics to back it up, but I think London's probably a second home. It like, is. Like we we go out to London, it's like you know it's crazy. Um, so I I think the met like you know the 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 listening metrics, Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, they that told us that London was was the top market outside of LA. Um, and then you put up a show link and it sells out like this. That also tells you, okay, <laughs> nah, this is crazy. Um, but you think about like it, you know, London's a really black city. Like London, there's like, you know, it's like the the Africa pipeline doesn't really start in America. It's like you go out to to London, it's like, you know, everybody is from Ghana or mm. Nigeria. Um, and you know, so so it, it felt like a you know we haven't been to Africa and we plan we're going this year, but it felt like a bridge to Africa. Like yeah. you know that that's what London feels like for me. It's like everybody out there is first generation. First generation. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. a lot of immigrants. We did a show in London. Um, it was amazing. And London, the energy out there, like you said, is is different because they, when you're an immigrant, you have a different level of psyche. I feel like I mean, like your parents are just teaching you just to fit into society, and then they're looking at us and the way that we're doing things. They're kind of like renegades to the whole situation. So it gives not only education, but inspiration and motivation as well. Right. So it's like, you know, and like Toronto, Canada is another one. Toronto's just like Places that, yeah. where there's a lot of black people, but they they don't have that same, like in America, I think <laughs> we take a lot of things for granted because yeah. we've been here, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, of course there's issues with America, but it's like the opportunities that we have in America, a lot of people don't have those opportunities in different places. So it's like, even from a music standpoint, like it's harder to break out of, Toronto and London, like Drake has done it yeah. and a few artists have done it, but look at the, those artists compared to hundreds and thousands of artists that have done it in America, right? Like, there's still not really a huge rapper. Like, Central C is making headway, but think about it, there's still not really a huge, shout out to gigs, but nobody has become Drake yeah. out of London. And Skepta, right? shout out to Skepta. Ever. Like, Ever. You know what I'm saying? Ever. Like, Ever. that's kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah. No, that's a fact. I mean, nobody has come, like, um, but I also would say like, I think like art just comes from like a broken fabric. And I think, you know, the best art comes from America. And I think like, you know, you think about the generations of hurt and pain and, you know, you think about LA, the, you know, South Central, the riots to, you know, the way black people came here and the way, you know, people lost their property. Right. I was, I was looking at, looking up Oakwood, right. Oakwood mm. in Venice. Mm. And I was like, a, you know, people's owning their homes. It was like a real black place and you know you go to venice now you go to oakwood it's like the the population the black population dropped from like 35 to like 16 percent and that's the best real that's one of that's some of the best real estate in uh la it's a west it's venice like right near the water right mm -hmm. near the airport um I, so I, I think art is kind of like a 
I think the reason why some of those not saying there's no there's not a struggle in in London um, because there is obviously. But like, you know, it feels like black people in America have kind of been leading like the the global civil rights movement for for the longest of time in challenging everything. And I think the, the art's reflective of that. No, that's a fact. That is a fact. So as far as partnerships, right? You guys obviously have a partnership with Red Bull. Um, but you have any other partnerships? And is partnerships and collaborations part of your like strategy moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's that's the baseline of everything. I'm <laughs> planning on giving just giving the keys to anybody. I mean, especially the foundation we set up to this point. Like we already Carl mentioned it earlier. We had every single music label exec, every chairman tell us like, ah, you can't break a radio single at Red Bull. You're not going to be able to <laughs> achieve these numbers, blah, 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 blah. And I just was like, shit, I hang up in the middle of their in they face. <laughs> like, bro, you're not going to tell me what we can and cannot do. You but... learned from Dink Dash. I see. <laughs> <laughs> Spent some time with him. Yeah. Shout out to Dink. But I think, I mean, at this point, we didn't, we didn't shot all those, all those records down. Like, we checked off every box that they said um, an artist in the independent structure um, could check. And I think that's heavily based off the fact that we are the culture and we come with the culture and this, these these relationships that we've procured, whether it be Kendrick Lamar, whether it be Nas, whether it be Rick Ross, like they all organic through some type of network channel that we already pre-existing had. Um, so as we continue to do that, I mean, I, I think that with the partnership situation, I think everybody understands going into business with Eagle, like that's what it's going to be. The Nas joint was dope. Yeah. So when I'm I'm in blast space, like that was the brunch on Sunday. Brunch on right? Sunday, man. Yeah. I mean, Grammy nominated. Crazy. Did we, did we not say that at the, at the start of the show? <laughs> I don't think that we did. Not, we did I, not. I, I, I did myself. No, no, we got to acknowledge that, man. Grammy nominated. Obviously, you know, you've been grinding, obviously, from L.A. So to be Grammy nominated for you know, a song with, with Kendrick. What? I mean, what what was that like for the, the label, right? This is the independence of three guys, obviously, from <laughs> employees. But you're like, yo, damn, this, we've been in this game maybe five, six years. Right. We, were, we already nominated for something. What was that like? I want to hear your perspective on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't think it mattered, to be honest. Like, I literally don't think we were, We it's cool. I think some people want us to be happier, but it's like, I think the fabric of Eagle is like, yo, we already believe. Like to even look at a record label and be like, we're not signing with y'all because we know the music is good. We we know we got these relationships. It kind of just takes a different type of confidence and faith. So I think we just we you feel like that's just a not that's a part of the process. And we want to win it. Mm -hmm. Like it's like cool, the nomination's dope. <laughs> but it's like, yo, we want to win it. And, I definitely thought yeah. that was gonna be Vic's answer. I'm <laughs> glad you said it, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> we all and that's another we kind of all this like it's a good and bad thing. I think, you know, we do it in different ways, but like we're literally all kind of the same. Like the fabric of the company is like, you know, we're, we're definitely not the, we're not, we're, we're not going to go into office and, and get hold. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to come and tell us lies and it's just not us. Like, um, all, all three of us, like he might be quiet about it. You know, Vic might be louder about it. You know, I might be more suit and tie about it, but we all like the same fabric. We're, we're going to own this shit. Like we're getting regardless. So like, you spoke about Kendrick. Um, do you guys have any inspirations as far as looking at labels like a TDE or like, a, you know, whatever? Like, no, 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 right. Do you guys get mentorship from any of those people? And do you guys like look at those 
type of people where it's like, all right, this is something that we can use and kind of model some things out there? Um, I wouldn't say like mentorship, to be honest with you. I mean, that's no disrespect to nobody, but I just think that even the way when we came in, I mean, the state of law, one, we did that deal in the pandemic. So in the state of music in Los Angeles was so different from when Blast was starting to really like create that large buzz that the whole sound of everything, it was going from like gang bang ratchet to smooth melodic. So it was like ratchet. that transition. It's a new, that's was, a new category. Gang <laughs> uh, ratchet. Oh, I swear to you. Uh, but, you know, just that transition, I think that it changed everything. I mean, music changed people's moods, how they move around. You started to see people just in different pockets, people trying to make different type of music, more positive music. Um, and I think Blast definitely set the tone to make that cool outside of people like Kaylin Pharrell, Bino Rideau. Well, I think that there is a, a pocket of, so like Sir, uh, Boogie, Blast, I feel mm. like it's kind of in a similar type of yeah, pocket sure. coming out coming out of California. Got, it's, like dope that. it's like a new R&B, yeah. hip-hop, infusion type vibe. Even like I was I was thinking like, yo, who has that L.A. R&B? And I'm like, you know, there's a couple. Like, obviously you just named some Kalani. Got that sound, I, I feel like. Think Kalani? No, she has a sound is what I'm saying. Like, it's R&B. Um, Janae. I don't really put them. They, in that I'm just saying R and B. Like, yeah, but it's just I, like a vibe. I feel like Sir. I like Sir a lot. Yeah. The, the kid Boogie, and Blast, and there's a few other people. The inspiration from others drives us forward. Their resilience pushes us to excel, and their path navigates the way towards freedom. Ford is proud to celebrate Black History, not just this month, but year round. They're committed to being the fuel for change, supporting Ford Fund programs centered around economic, educational, and empowerment opportunities for our communities to continue creating the future. Learn more at FordFund.org. Build Ford Proud. But where it, I just, it just feels like it's even Ty Dollar Sign. Dollar Sign is another right, one. Sign. Dollar Sign is definitely another one. In that, in that bucket yeah. as well. But it's all in a it, similar type of genre yeah. of West Coast, new R&B type music and I think it's super reflective of just like what our direct influences were in the city too like you got Dom Kennedy and Nip I mean both their companies are real business terms I mean All Money In and OPM like those are two of the bases of business so when you think about that and that's right in front of your face you kind of get inspired inadvertently even just just watching their program how they moved around how they operate um, and how they stood on it too the demonstration mm -hmm. that's a fact so y'all yeah. from South Central? Y'all, y'all, did y'all know Nip at all? Nah, I ain't, I never knew Nip personally, but I definitely. I mean, I grew up like, feel like you know. Oh God, right? <laughs> Just the energy yeah. for sure. I mean, How was the energy in LA? Like, cause we we got the we, it kind of hit New York like victory lap. Like that's when he became big in the East Coast, but mm -hmm. that was obviously the end of the situation. So how was it like with the Bullets had no names, mixtapes and the, and the, yeah, all that, of that? Like that came out like my junior year in high school. So, I mean, you see the video, like Nip first video, the hustle in the house. You like, damn, like everybody know that gas station on Crenshaw and Slauson. So you like, <laughs> oh my God, there's really hundreds and hundreds of people out here. Like I wouldn't want to get no gas that day, right? <laughs> but, but I think just the immediate impact of Nip was just like, damn, you got somebody that's, 
that is rapping and that sounds like LA, but the production value was so high that it was like, this is actually like tasteful and I can actually rock with this. Um, aside from all the, the crazy business stuff he was doing already. Mm. You see, one of the the verticals, obviously, is that you said the publishing company. Yeah, I got the songwriters. But fashion is one of those things that's listed. What's the plans for that? I mean, we got a merch partnership. So another another partnership on the table. Um, and I think, again, early on, Blast being so creative and understanding how to really kind of like conjure up a vision and consistency through branding. Like, I, he was doing stuff that he didn't even understand that he was doing, right? And I'm just like, damn, somebody made you like a color palette, like a color code or something? Like, how are you coming up with all of this? And it was really just so natural that when we started moving forward and making this merch, we walked into all these meetings showing, like, we've already sold X amount of merch independently. We've already did all this so that, you know, you got to kind of have proof of concept when you want to have ownership of all this stuff. So when we walked in with proof of concept and showing that, I right, this is our merch business. This is the merchandising factory we work with. This is how fast we can produce merch. Um, they didn't have no problem handing that over to us. And I think now in this stage, our tour merch goes so crazy that it's like, I think our big focus this year is just making sure that consistently year round, that even when we're not on the road, mm -hmm. um, that our our merch business is growing in every single space from a product way, from product to the delivery, to the packaging, even down just to the customer experience. So you said your, your tour um, and being on the road, obviously that's a major part in any artist's career. Do you do that yourself as far as book the venues or do you work with somebody like Live Nation to, to help out with that? Yeah, we did our whole last tour with Live Nation. Um, we got William Morris Entertainment as our agency. Um, shout out to both of them. They did a super dope job. Okay, dope. Are you hands-on with that or you just let them just... Hell yeah. No, I think man, I would say we're hands-on. Yeah, sure. we, <laughs> we, we we're approving every stop. We're approving pretty much how we're doing it, the capacity. Um, I mean, but that, that's why we chose them as a partner too, right? Like, because we respect their opinion. We trust what they've already done in the game and they coming to us and really like teaching us and mentoring us how to be able to move through this world. Because ultimately, I mean, we get money together. So it's, yeah. it's not like, it's, it's mutually beneficial for both parties. Yeah, and when you're looking at them deals, are we looking at it? line item like yo we, we need percentage of the if there's a bar in the venue we need percentage of concessions uh, we're doing all this yeah no we definitely did i mean you know every venue has a different like you know merch rate so it's like some some venues are like yo we, we need 20 percent of the merch yeah some venues like, i need five percent of like, yeah we, we went through all of that and you can't sell it <laughs> yeah or you, I, or you can't sell it yeah. that, that stuff that even like so when we do it we do it ourselves and that's stuff that we had to learn because so we have a big festival called invest fest in atlanta right yeah. and that's at the georgia world congress center a venue like that, we just, we buy the venue for the weekend and we control the venue. So we sell merch, whatever we do, we get 100%. But then we do an event at MSG and that's a Ticketmaster event. So then it's like, all right, well, it's 20% that you got to give to them. They got to sell a merch for you. It's a bunch of different things. And it's like, even with getting paid, we had to learn that because it's like, going back to GWCC, we set the ticket thing up ourselves and it's daily deposits that come in. Anytime somebody buys a ticket, the next day we get paid from that. Right. Which is good because if you're funding something yourself, then you you need the money. Yeah. But then it's like, all right, uh, a ticket master venue, we don't get paid until like 30 days after the event. Sure. Which you just got to be able to budget that because it's like, all right, you're not going to get this money until it's over. So make sure you got money on reserve. This is stuff that you don't really... 
You don't really serious. know unless you actually are in it and doing it. Yeah, Carl, learn it. We, we're trying to put net now into the contract. Yeah, that net 30, <laughs> that 60, <laughs> that 90. By net 90, it's Yo, over. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's I a whole put, different year by they, net 90. put net 90 in, I think the most thing, most obviously thing that thing is going to happen is that you're going to forget. Yeah. That's yeah. like three months later. Right. And you got so many things happening. It's like, yeah. wait, what happened? Did we get... The net 90 is... Yeah, so we try to work on the net now. Net now. I think the the net thing is like the the core of the problem with the music business, right? It's like, you know, if more teams had liquidity, right, money in their pocket now, like, we, they wouldn't have to do so many bad deals. But like, publishing's a back-end sport. It takes nine months to collect. Like, Chosen could be at radio number one, but you're not getting that money right now. That's a fact. Yeah. It's nine months away. You know what's so crazy? All yeah. y'all... How old are y'all? Uh, 30. 30? 30. Yeah. 30? Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. 30? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so we're not we're not that far off in age. But um, so Ghostface. They're, they're a different generation. It's a different generation for yeah, sure, but yeah. not that far. Yeah. But So Ghostface got one of the best lines of all time when he was like, um, waiting on these royalties take too long. It's like waiting on babies. Yeah. Like, it's like Maybe. nine months. <laughs> like, yeah. it's crazy. It's it like, almost makes you have to take an advance, right? Yeah. Like yeah. In, in our industry, an advance can be paralyzing like you take a advance and now all of a sudden your business is compromised at so many different levels because you got to pay that back you have less freedom so i think like real-time royalty payouts like you think about the next uh technologies in the industry that are going to change things for creators i think that's the sort of real-time royalty payments that's, yeah. so that is that anything like is that blockchain technology i think it is blockchain yeah i talk a lot about how that was what I saw blockchain. You know, everybody had their sort of theories on what blockchain was going to help. But as it related to the music industry, I thought it was going to help in two places. I thought metadata, right? Like mm. chain of record. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't get paid because songwriter splits are off. Um, the, the information is not at one spot and it's not, you know, there's no chain of record. So I thought, you know, blockchain would help with that. And then um, real-time royalty payouts. But, you know, so much stuff lives off chain that like, you know, when I see like an NFT go up, for like a music royalty, I'm like, that's a joke. Like that's, it's actually, it's a joke. Like you're never going to get paid because we're all not getting paid from record labels. <laughs> like you got, you own 20% of a song that you're not going to get royalties from because you got to go through the same royalty process we do. Yeah. So um, when things go on chain, when I think like, you know, we actually get stuff like faster, it's going to be, it, it's going to, that's going to be the true creator economy in my opinion. Is, is that the vision for the publishing company that you're creating, right? Because it, at some point, like you're the company that is now collecting all this data, right? Right. So is it to now see the flaw in the system and say, all right, here's how we can correct it? Yeah. I think you got, I think like, um, it's definitely not our goal right now just because like, you know, we'd have to go to foreign territories and establish that collection relationship. Mm. People do though. Like there's been pub companies that started in like, yo, I'm going to go to South Korea, but you're going to have to like go to South Korea and like sit down <laughs> and you're going to have to go to Italy and talk to like the people over there in Germany and develop that one. And like, here's, here's our license. Here's our collection. So it's not feasible. So, which is why there's like sort of a monopoly on publishing because whoever has those relationships already, you're just like, I'm going to go to y'all. Who's going to charge me the less to, to collect? Who's uh, taking the, the, the smallest percentage? Who's taking the smallest percentage? But you think about it and it's like, you know, if payments become, if royalty calculations become a little bit more streamlined, then we could see what money's out there because 
you know, the technology allows us to see it. Yeah. It's an interesting time. Yeah, y'all could be ringing off in South Africa right now. Right now. And it's yeah. inter- we know how much money we make in and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting to see how Web3 is really going to affect the music business. And this is another conversation that we was having with Chris Lyons the other night when he was just like, even talking about like crypto, right? And he was like, right now, everybody's looking at things singular. And it's going to make more sense when it's looked at as a collective. So as opposed to saying like, okay, crypto is separate from... You know, NFTs is separate from AI. It all got to work together. So the analogy that he gave was actually pretty brilliant where he was like, okay, like GPS, right? GPS is a technology within itself. Payment processing systems is a technology within itself. And then a cell phone is a technology within itself. But nobody realizes that Uber is a combination of all of it, right? Like Uber, there's no Uber without GPS, which, but it just has to work. It's integrated in it, right? And then you need the payment processing system to work with the, the GPS. It's on your cell phone. Now you create Uber, right? Yeah. Where it's like, there's no Uber without GPS technology, but you're not just looking at it like GPS is its own separate entity. Like right. GPS is really integrated in everything that we do. You don't even realize that it's integrated in everything that we do, right? So it's like once the crypto and then once the blockchain and once the AI, all of that gets integrated in everything, now, like you said, like real-time royalty payments and different things of that nature, like it's all going to make a lot more sense. I feel like we're at the beginning stages and it's not making a lot of sense, but once it really starts to get a little bit more streamlined, integrated, all of this new technology is going to make a lot more sense and make it a lot more efficient. Yeah, I don't know what song that was, but Nip was. Remember what, what song did Nip go on that? Uh, like that rant at the end of the song about new technology. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's on the mailbox money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My big businesses folding and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was just distinctly. <laughs> I was a freshman in Washington. <laughs> yeah. How you feel about how you feel about AI? Because we see this stuff where like they had an Eminem song. You see that? Yeah. And they used the voice, and it sounds just like an Eminem song. I want to. I was literally on CNN talking about AI and music, like and AI as a tool is great. We've been using AI to create music more efficiently and faster for a long time now. Like a lot of the products that producers and songwriters use to, to put out music quickly is AI driven. But you know, generative, pure generative AI music, right? So like actually like feeding you know the machine like machine learning technology feeding it songs from eminem travis scott and then it producing a sound so, yeah. Yeah. an original song yeah. that is based off that work it, it, it's it poses so many legal issues that is not like it, <laughs> it, it, it was a producer they were like yo let's put timberland pharrell Kanye, and let's make beats and it made like 70 beats in an you hour just fit, you just feed it to the machine and just you know, it put, spits out a beat and chat gpt be like all right sing me a song yeah. in a sad mood with a louisiana accent right yeah. and it'll come out or or i can take blast's voice and i could be the person singing and it's his it's his voice they, on my body they, they had a dj I, forgot, I think it was one of these djs they played the record and it was like a hundred thousand people there and it was like and they didn't they thought it was a new record. Like, you know what I mean? They didn't even know, like, this was just an AI-driven. So, as an artist, how you... Because that's kind of scary. Like, you know, art is <laughs> it's supposed to be curated by... You know, it, it's a lot. Now, how do you feel about a machine just making art? That's scary. It's scary. It's like... And then it, it's becoming so real where you can't even tell the difference. So, it's just... I don't know. It's mind-boggling for me. <laughs> yeah. That's a fact. So do you still practice law? Like, are you still, all right, you're running a label. Yeah. Are you still, are you the lawyer for the label as well? Yeah, but we don't, we don't have much like 
Yeah, sure, for sure. Like, you know, I handle, you know, our contracts and stuff like that, like protect our analog file for trademarks, copyrights, um, for sure. I also think um, we're definitely bringing some some people on for that. Um, but I, yeah, I still operate the folks firm in, in downtown Newark um, and I have a, a associate attorney, I have an office manager. Um, so I still take on some new business, but um, I've kind of transformed that practice practice to more of a like advocacy practice, practice. like mm. how can I like do some cool stuff in law to like, you know, I'm taking expungement cases, like stuff like that, just mm. to kind of keep my, just make an impact. It's also, it's also a good um, network. You know, Vernon Brown? I heard of Vernon Brown. So I think he's a teacher at Pace. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Vernon Brown, he's um I knew him my whole life actually, but he's Cash Money's lawyer. Yeah. Um, and one of the most respected in in the music business for a long time. But he's he's an adjunct professor at Pace, yeah. teaches law. Um, but it's a great networking tool and it's a great way to kind of stay sharp and you meet a variety of different people um yeah. by still practicing, still teaching. And you learn it all comes there, together. Too. Yeah, it's just like you know what you know what deals are happening. It's like yeah. it's just so much of a benefit for my other business if I know like, oh, this is what the market rate is. Like this is what <laughs> this is what this guy signed a record a record contract for. It's like, you know, it, I feel like that information is invaluable. So as a professor, right? You said you're a professor at Drexel. Yep. From a, a standpoint of creating curriculum, what are the things that you're seeing from your students that are like, yo, these are the things that they want to know versus these are the things that you should know? Man, I'll be honest. I, I teach in a music business program. They want to know hip hop. Like the business of hip hop in black culture is like the strongest thing ever. Like they have curriculum. My, my class is probably the hottest class at Drexel because every semester I'm bringing in guests. Like, and they just want to hear from like Tierra Wax Manager or whoever the hot artist is at that time. And those kids are producers, they're on Fruity Loops, they're like making beats. So I, I think it just gives me like insight on like how strong black culture is and how strong hip hop is. Cause those kids at Drexel, they really want to work in the industry to kind of work in, work on hip hop projects. I want to get all you guys' perspective on this. Academic said something recently that got a lot of attention. He said that hip hop is becoming more and more regional and not global where like Afro beats is becoming is a global form of music. And he was like, you know, uh, hip hop is, is becoming a regional art form, not global. What, what's your thoughts on that? Who going first? <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think one, so we just, we just went on tour at the end of the year. We damn near toured the last six months. Um, we had an Australian leg of tour. We had a European portion of the tour. And then we had obviously domestic. But just just talking about those international plays for the most part, like Carl was saying, like Africa, Nigeria, five-hour flight from London. So that's New York to L.A. So it's like being able to tap in with European markets all these Caribbean descendants and all these first generation um, African millennials and stuff like that, that are in our age bracket, that's moving around the world. It's like they're servicing more of a global market anyway, but on the back end of it, it's like all of this is really the essence of it is pulled from American hip hop culture. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't ever think that hip hop can become regional because all you hear in London is uh, a version of drill music. That's all you hear. So it's like you can't really say hip hop is becoming at all regional because if 
we were in New Zealand and like it was a girl trying to rap for us. Like uh <laughs> it was a New Zealand girl trying to rap for us, and she literally was trying to rap like the city girls. <laughs> and it's like, bro, that's not that's not even you. Like that remember that? Like yeah, we was literally I, I do we was sitting there having a conversation with her at a restaurant, cool. like, bro, that's not true. Like it's not it's not even gonna work. Like your accent, all that when you start talking, the way you dress, none of it adds up with what you're trying to portray. So I never I from the way that people, uh, uh, from the way that American accents are mimicked in the UK and every other part of the world, like people grow up practicing this and watching our TV shows and pretty much, so you talked about Central C, Central C is number one line about Doja Cat. You know what I mean? Like everybody quoting that. So I don't think at all like, it is really becoming regional now. Is the message starting to become repetitive? I do think that some of the message in hip hop is starting to become repetitive. Um but I feel like that's a whole another conversation. <laughs> I, w- I would say, I feel like music itself is always regional. I think like only a certain level of song breaks through anyway, right? Like 20 years ago, like I, I think probably Pro Rata, like the same amount of songs were for breaking through from hip hop culture, like 50 Cent in the club. Like we still got those records now, mm-hmm. but like hip hop's regional. Like it is like it's just a regional game, but every genre is regional. Like you go to Brazil, they got their regional touch, but only a certain bracket of those songs break through globally, right? It's the same thing. Yeah, and I think I think only a small fraction of songs from hip hop have breaking through globally. That's been the history of hip hop. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I kind of agree with what Carl said. Even just traveling, like going to Europe and stuff, seeing how. It's artists that you never heard of, but you you'll look them up, see they follow, and they're the biggest thing in that one section. So, in a sense, I feel like hip hop is regional, and um, music is just in a weird space. Like we just we just want change right now. It's like we feeding for something new. So, anything that's off the wall, left field, we just hold on to it. Like yeah, this this is it. This is the next thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, and it comes in waves too, right? It's like right now, reggaeton is is huge, um, you know, because a lot of the artists, Bad Bunny and and Well and all of them, it's a, it's a, it's a language barrier yeah. as well, because Spanish is spoken in half the world's population, so that gives them an advantage. For sure, and Afrobeats is 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 on the rise right now and spreading, and um, I feel like um, hip hop is going through a remake. I feel like it's going through a remake, like you know what I'm saying, and that that happens. It's 50 years old, like it's like this is the 50th anniversary of hip hop this year, so it's 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 grown from, you know, just hip hop da 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 to the gang culture to mm-hmm. the bad boy era to you know, so it's it over the, the drill music. So I feel like you know we're looking to see what's the next iteration yeah. of hip hop. So. I, I think. This is interesting. We're having a conversation with y'all because you've created Eagle. We were with uh, Dougie Fresh, and he said there's five elements of hip-hop, right? He said there's the MC, there's the DJ, there's the graffiti, there's breakdancing. And he said he... <laughs> no, this is real. This is real, He really said this to us. And he said the fifth one was him. He created the human beatbox, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? There's a sixth element that's being created right now, and it's the, the business of hip-hop. Mm. And so the fact that Eagle is creating that, and obviously we're earning allegiance, and we always say, like, yo, hip-hop is at the core of what we do. I'm thinking now, like you got all these verticals, right, on the landscape. What verticals do you think that you're missing, or you want to add over the next couple of years? Yeah. I, I would say, really, no vertical that that we want to add other than like growing, building a real company, like actually building something horizontally 
and vertically that we could sell. Like when a company does due diligence on Eagle, we want there to be like, you know, we have every HR policy. We mm. have all the back end of what it, what a real company looks like. So I, cause I honestly feel like, you know, a lot of people from hip hop haven't been able to build like, or haven't had the experience to build something that was like, you know, the Google or like those real massive companies. So, um, shout out to Larry Jackson. I saw that, you know, gamma, you know, like stuff like that is really, mm -hmm. really dope to see. So I think when they look under the hood, I, I just want, you know, Eagle to be, like, man, that's a, that's a wide company. They got employees, you know, everyone has health, you know, small, everyone has health insurance, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Like that's a real company. Yeah. I feel like everyone, when people talk like, yo, I got a label, right. You see an artist, I got a label. I often wonder like, do they even know what it entails? Is it staffed? Like, <laughs> like, do y'all have meetings? Like, like, is there a schedule? Like, how are you guys holding each yeah. other accountable? Are there policies? It becomes something different. Like yeah. I'm an artist yeah. and I like you. So I'll sign you. How do I do that? I'll create a record label. And now you're my artist. And now I have a record label. I think that's the next 50 years of hip-hop, right? I think, like, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. How much of hip-hop does black people even own, right? I know it's a really small number. I don't have the metrics, but it's you just people just don't own their masters. They don't own their publishing. So the next 50 years, it's about developing a business sophistication to properly staff and service your music in a way that you don't got to, you know, hoe your stuff out. You don't got to sell it to this company for no reason. So I think... You know, I think that's what we want to be known for. And people look under that hood, man, that's a that's a strong company. You yeah. know, there's a lot of employees, there's a lot of reach. Um, they're doing so many different things. Um, they got competitive, you know, benefit packages, all that sort of mm. stuff. So, yeah, I think we just changed the term, Carl. We just did it. And since you're the entertainment lawyer, we're gonna have to trademark this. Okay. This is the business education. This is gonna be the sixth element. Six thousand. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so let me ask you this: You brought up a good point as far as selling your 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 artists, your masters. This is something that's very popular these days. We just met somebody the other day that he's he's the one that brought Nicki Minaj's catalog. I don't even know if she sold the catalog. Um, yeah, we I have to know. I know. I know who you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> I, I know where that. You know their offices, right? Uh, I don't. Okay. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> after, after this, we'll talk, Carl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, we had Irv Gotti on this couch, and he sold his catalog for I think two hundred million, right? Yeah, uh, incentives to make it 300. And yep. he explained. So now, people, it's like the last 18 months, everybody's on the catalog. Future, I just seen Metro Booming. So part, part portion of the catalog. catalog. Yep. It's like liquidation events and they're getting valuations like tech companies. So um, that's obviously beneficial whenever you can get a lump sum of money, right? I always say, what people don't know about Elon Musk is that he actually sold PayPal for $100 million. And then went broke because he used that money to fund SpaceX and Tesla. Now he's the richest person <laughs> in the world and he's worth 200 billion. Right. But it's like he wouldn't have had SpaceX or Tesla if he didn't sell PayPal. Mm. Um, but then there's another argument where people are like, well, we got to hold on to what we create and we keep selling it. Da, 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 da. <laughs> you're, nah. you're not buying that. Okay. What's, your, what's your thoughts on, on people selling their catalogs and that? Would you guys ever want to do that at some point? I, I want, nah, I want to, I want, actually want to hear blasphemy. <laughs> I mean, it was hundred percent of it. Yeah. I, I want to hear blasphemy. <laughs> That's funny. Cause every time I see like when they do a post of like how Metro sold his, yeah. It's always a rant in the comments, like black people don't never keep with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. But you brought up a good point. It's like you have to take the stairs that you like. You sold PayPal to, and people don't see the long term play. You know, they focus on what you're doing right now. So I don't really know my answer to it, but I feel like I I got to educate myself 
but be patient and see the long play of why people are doing it, you know? Yeah. Because, of course, you want to own it, but for what? It's not only about ownership. It's about controlling it, too. Yeah. I, I think, too, it's like, you know, everybody else is building an exit, right? So it's like real, even real estate, you you invest in a real estate, you buy a real estate property at for 50K and you sell it for a million dollars. That's a that's a steal, right? I don't know what the, the exit is on that, but... Like there's always a time where it makes sense to sell an asset to get other assets and to build other stuff. That's like literally what everybody else is doing. So I, there was a, I don't know what company. So there was a, um, I think it was a, um, like a hair product company. Yeah. Yeah. That sold. We know the guy. We, yeah. Young we just had this conversation. Yeah. Man, we, it, we were just with it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, there was the same outrage that Blast kind of spoke it's, about where everyone was like, yo, why are you selling, you know, uh, the, the, a black owned company? Yeah. And it was like. Millie, the the Millie, uh brand. Yeah. 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 It's like, yo, shit, they came up. Like, yeah. like that's when we asked Herb. Um, first time we met Herb, he was like, he was like, you know, um, people ask me, you know, why I sold my my master's. He's like, I got a hundred million. People ask me why I sold it and say, because I got a hundred million. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that's why I sold it. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, I think we really have to do a better job of educating black people that it's not. And it, some of it is valid because, you know, we, we have a lot of trauma. So whenever we see QC or whatever, it's like, oh, you sold out. It's over. But oh, other see. other people never get that. You, you never yeah. see the white people like, yo, you so, Elon Musk sold out. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? They're yeah. like, all right, this is business. This is what he's doing. Whatever. But for black people, it happens all the time. Yeah. Whether it's hair care, whether it's music, it's like, <laughs> you sold out. Da, 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 da. And then it'd be like, like that. she's got like hate mail. Like, people yeah. like really. Yeah, I, like, I had a conversation with her last night about it. And it was like. It didn't hurt as bad because she had somebody to pattern it off of. So like Rich Lou, uh, Dennis, who is, you know, over at Essence, in charge of Essence, he sold uh, Shea Moisture. It was a $1.6 billion deal. Jesus Christ. 1.6. And so like when she was interested in, in, in uh, going down that avenue, thinking about selling, like, well, she had him to lean on. And the problem is like, we don't, we've never, we don't see it, right? Like even the, the people that we know that are wealthy or, or billionaires, they're all first generation. I said this the other day, but they're learning too, right? And so as they learn, yeah, they're going to have to educate. And like, that's part of our role, right? Like sitting down with these people to educate people on the structure of creating an asset and selling an asset and then maybe creating more assets. Right. But we're so stuck on like, we have that financial trauma. It's like, yo, you sold out. The product ain't the same. Yep. How it ain't the same? <laughs> How you know it ain't the same? No, you know, you got to change the chemicals, bro. Nah, it's something different. My, my hair, like, it's like, yo, bro, like, really? But I think what you said, and it's, I, I love it. I meant to say it earlier. It was like, when we think of business, we talk in terms of companies. But when we talk music, we talk in terms of labels. But what you like? I'm listening as what's you talk. a manager? It's an operator. <laughs> like it. Like what's a right? What's a, so it's a you. It's you're a not creating. It's not a record label. This is a record company. We're in the business of music. But when we change that language, it feels like oh that it, it's like oh this is a label. I got an artist. And now I have a label. But do you have a company? It's elementary. <laughs> You know, it's it's something that like again like it's how we control the next fifty years of black music, like just changing the way we think about it, like really trying to build a company and owning every process of it, learning how we distribute, like, you know, bridging a gap on connections overseas, like just owning those processes. Like that's how we do it the next 50 years. Yeah. Another thing, going back to the selling, we had a conversation with Rich and he was saying, what people don't talk about is what happens if you don't sell? Because mm. we know that the vast majority of businesses don't make it to be a second generation business. It's even higher for black businesses, right? So he brought up one company. I won't mention their name, but 
a very successful black legacy brand. And he was like, at the peak of their success, like in the 90s, the company was worth like $600 million. And now the company's worth $30 million. So nobody tells that story. Like, that's another part of the coin too. Like, damn, like you had it up here and then you wrote it all the way down here. And then, you know, that's your crazy. kid ends up messing it up and, you know, and it's like, I think that's like a, a Dr. Dre situation, though, right? Like, Dr. Dre was averaging like 10 million a year, sold it for 200, and it's like, shit, he's had like a brain aneurysm, just had divorce. So it's like, damn, my, my next 20 years, like, who is going to be able to operate this creativity like me? And you already hear like crazy stories of Dr. Dre, how he bought super anal in the studio and stuff like that. So I can only imagine him thinking, like, ah, do I want X, Y, and Z that is in my vicinity to be taking control of this and not treating it the right way? Or would I rather cash out on my next 20 years of what I was already making and make those investments for the long term, like y'all was saying? Sell that PayPal, really. Yeah, and just yeah. put up the bumpers. Yeah. Right? Like, put up the bumpers for the next generation. So, like, you can't mess this up. Yeah. Right? Even I, if you try, you, you couldn't. Yeah, and I think this is, like, directly correlated to, like, you think about, like, natural selection and, like, Darwinism and, like, those theories about how you, like, over time, it takes small portions to, like, oh, think about, like, what, birds or something like that in the Amazon. Like, 50 years ago, their beak might have been, like, two inches shorter. But now, as climate changes, all that stuff changes over time, the bird changes. So I think as far as the business, it go the same way. Like, it take a future a future, or a Metro Boomin' or a Dr. Dre or a Jay-Z to make these type of investments and sell these companies to be able to jump to that next level of business executiveship to be like, oh, okay, now it goes from us just being the supplier of the product to us having say in what product is the next product. So mm -hmm. I think as that keeps rolling over, like you said, these next 50 years, we'll see a whole different turnaround just because little by little, we'll start to see more people in, more people in position, hopefully, um, that'll change the tide of the gatekeeping. Yeah. And, and there'll be more capital, right? There'll be yeah. more people that look like us that have more capital, more capital, more, more decision-making. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, all right, let's talk about the future for Eagle. So, how many, you have artists on the label now? How many artists you have? Uh, one signed artist, um, Hopefully another one soon. Singer or a rapper? Uh, he's he's literally like a like a like a baby blast. <laughs> like a baby yeah. blast, a baby blast. Yeah. Maybe not, let's not call him a baby yeah, blast. Yeah, he might not yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want. I want to say it right. Is is, is it Jay Jay Miller? Jay yeah, Million. Yeah. Million. Yeah. Right. He's, he's a. We'll say he's another hundred percenter. Pretty much. He can produce, writes his music. Oh, yeah. Plays instruments. He produced, he produced half the um, Beano and Blast project, Six Tape 2. Okay. Yeah, so you, you hear his tag all through that project. So what's what's the goal as far as, yeah, what's the what's the vision for Eagle in the next five to ten years? Um, Across all verticals. Yeah, I mean, I think one is making sure that what Carl mentioned earlier, like our employees the artists that are with us, like, it's important for us all to be on the same page on structurally how we move. So I think that's the baseline of it. Like, even when, even with us having Jay Million as an artist, we pour into him just as much as a human being as we pour into him musically and, like, mm -hmm. business-wise. Because if he not, if he don't have a regular human intangibles, he's not going to go that far regardless if we on his side or not because we're not with him 100% of the time. But um, 
we taking every effort right now from the people we hiring right now, people we letting go, all that type of stuff. All that goes into what this long-term vision for Eagle is, and that is to grow vertically and to grow horizontally, too. Mm. Blast from a music standpoint, we got Nas, worked with Kendrick, worked with Dollar Sign, Snoop. Ross. Ross. Who's on the list that we haven't gotten? I say for real. I say that in every interview, though. <laughs> but I, I think my biggest goal is to like have a project executive produced by Pharrell. That's one of my biggest things. But um, in terms of like artists collaborating, I feel like I'm still establishing myself in, in my own voice, in my own narrative. So that's my main focus. Mm. Yeah. Your music is very, um, it's a high vibration music. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, not, it's not depressing music. That's yes. important. That's important. And people vibe to it. I, I, every time, like, I feel like when you put out me, new music, I can count on Russell Westbrook to be in his car listening to it. <laughs> oh, bro, I was there last night. Yo, yo, y'all must have grown up together. <laughs> yo, I went, when you put Still on my way, yo, that <laughs> just kept ringing on my timeline. I'm like, yo, I got to go download this song. <laughs> uh, shout out Brody, man. He pulled up last night to the release. That's all. That's a good dude. That's all. Now, we appreciate y'all guys, man. Anything else y'all, y'all want to uh, let the people be aware of? Uh, the project's out now. Project, just yeah. for clarity, too. Go run that up for me. Much love to everybody that tapped in. Eagle game. Yeah, we got Mustard producing on there. Yeah. Roddy Rich is on the project. Terrace Martin, Larry June. Yeah. Major. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Anything else? No, we good. Good money. I appreciate, appreciate you guys. Yo, man, I, I want to just say this really quickly because I, I don't, I don't know how we went through this whole interview. Like we're having Blast here and Shotty not mentioning that his nickname is Blast. That's great. Yo, how did we get through this whole thing <laughs> without you even saying that? Well, so there's a story. <laughs> <laughs> I spell it different. I spell it the regular, regular I way. Thought, yo, honestly, um, when, I, when I used to get in his car and he'd be playing your music, oh. I'm like, yo, he only rock when it comes. Like, it's there. <laughs> I'm like, this is actually, this is like, this, this dude's pretty nice. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll yeah, take no, it. That, that definitely. So, all right. I have yeah, welcome, audience. This, that's, that's a very, not a lot of people know that, but my name is Rashad. Okay. So, growing up, my nickname was Shoddy. That's like every, nobody, a lot of people didn't even know my name was Rashad for a long period of time because everybody just called me shoddy. Yeah. Um, and then, like, my real close friends, like, around, like, family, like, they called me Blast. That's crazy. So, <laughs> that was, like, that still is, like, like people, like, I you. know, like, if somebody really, like, they call me Blast, like, I know that they really, really know me. Okay. You're not going to give it. <laughs> <laughs> so, You're not going to give us the insight how you got that name? Blast? Yeah. Tell me how you got the name. Well, so I used to I used to play ball. And another one of my friends, Tawan, it's just like shoddy blast, like a shotgun blast. Shotgun blast. Yeah. But there was no actual firearms in this. It was the it was it was, it was, it was the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, a ratchet. Yeah. I had a I had a ratchet, not a ratchet. ratchet. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be John Shout out to John. Shout out to John. Nah, nah, but now nah, I'm actually a big fan. 
fan of your music, man, and I, I appreciate it. My son is tired of hearing me play it because I play you and Tim's all the time in my car. He's like, yo, can we listen to something else? I'm like, where you want to listen to? He's like, drill music, Didi Osama and all. I'm like, no, no, thank you. we're not listening to that in the car. No. Um, but it's actually really, like I said, it's, it's a high vibration. Oh, man. It's a dope, it's a dope <laughs> vibe. And, and uh, I really, I like it. I actually like the music. That's so, um, you know, whenever we get a chance to talk to people that we're actually fans of, that even makes the conversation even better. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I'm actually a fan of the music. Um, so, and now, knowing you guys, I'm a fan of what you guys are doing business-wise. Uh, I feel you. like, you know, you guys definitely have a great head on your shoulder and got a vision for what you want to do. So yeah. anything that we can do to help you guys, like I said, definitely try to connect you with um, A16Z. That's easy. And anything, you know, um, stop by the coffee shop, too, in Newark. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the coffee shop? Uh, it's a wine bar. It's oh, a, wine bar. My uh, bad. Consigliere. Consigliere. When, yeah. when is it open? Uh, August. Okay. Yeah. Sickly, yeah. Okay. It's going to be like a nightlife vibe? Yeah. we, You know, Jersey's a place that everyone's asking me, like, yo, when you leaving Jersey type. <laughs> when are you like, leaving? leaving Jersey? Why are you in Jersey? Nah, shout out, shout out to Jersey. Yeah. I'm actually from like South, like right near Philly. So I'm like Camden County. Oh, oh that's, wow. even, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah no, you, don't, you don't live in Camden, obviously. The, yeah. The, the no, I, I live in Newark. I live in Newark. <laughs> the one Wag. Are you from Camden? Nah, I'm from, I'm, yeah, yeah. But so, I didn't grow up. So yeah, like okay. one step yeah. up. Shout out to everybody in Camden. Shout out to Dewan yeah. Wagner and the whole Camden. Yeah. Yeah. But like Cam- my, my grandpa's like, like he was like one of the early, like first black students at so I like at Camden High. So mm-hmm. it was like a very interesting, like, like to see Camden the way it is now is definitely different for me. It, it wasn't the history of Camden is like very, you know, the RCA plant was there. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's like a it's like a Midwest city in the middle of New Jersey. Yeah. Like factories left and it's like it's just abandoned. I've been to Camden once. Yeah. It was like a, I went to a water park out there. I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> you know, you know exactly what I'm talking." Yeah, about. I know a water park. Yeah, it. Uh, I said, "Yeah, we can't come." Is there another one they got? <laughs> <laughs> Jersey, shout yeah. out to yeah. Jersey, man. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Newark. Yeah. So, so, but Newark is actually in the process of changing. Though. Yeah, you can see it. You can see it, man. I I moved there during the pandemic. Uh, I was actually living in uh, Camden County. Um, that's where my first law office was. So. I was doing a lot of deals. Um, and actually, I, I think where Wallow and Gilly actually record um, was where my office was at. Mm. Um, so I was doing it there and then moved up to Newark during the pandemic. And based on base, I just saw it. You just see it. Like, you know, marijuana is legal in Jersey. Um, Newark you know, is an international airport. 20-minute mm-hmm. train ride into the city. Um, black culture hub. Like, literally, black mayor, you know, black congressman, like, all types of stuff. So you could just see the fabric of the city like, man, this is a place, this is a place that you can afford. Um, you could help sort of shape the next 50 years of, and we just don't have stuff to do. It's like, so I'm like, all right, let's, let's get that wine bar popping. Dope. Yeah. Let us know, man. We yeah. know a few people out there too. So shout out to Ladoon. You know Ladoon? My God versus my enemies. You ever see those shirts? Mm. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he has. Newark, like, you know what guy? He's yeah, 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 yeah. I got Solid dude too. I got to connect with him. Yeah. Solid. Good dude. All right, my guys. Yep. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for waking up early. Um, sure. That says a lot, too. <laughs> no, I know, you know, y'all just had the party yesterday, so <laughs> I appreciate y'all waking up early, man. And uh, once again, man, love is love. Thank y'all. Thank appreciate it. Thank you. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop.
The time has come, ladies and gentlemen. Invest Fest, that's right. That's right. Invest Fest 2023 is here. August 25th, 26th, and 27th in Atlanta, Georgia. We are taking it to a new level. Bigger than ever. This year, we're going to do 20,000 people in Atlanta, Georgia. I want you to do yourself a favor. Head over to investfest.com right now. We will have activations from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three days, musical performances, billionaires. Everything is gonna be a completely life-changing experience. Vendor Marketplace, Food Truck Village, you know how we do. Don't wait, don't hesitate, head over now. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.